welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers, to episode 52 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. My name's Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. How is everyone doing? We've got a big episode for you folks today. We've got some recent plays for big games, some of the recent hotness, we'll say. We're going to be reviewing Earth, a Kickstarter mm-hmm. just finished from uh, Inside Up Games. A friend Connor had this one out. Yes, yes, he did, and we were able to get a copy of it, and we played it a lot, so we got a lot of thoughts on that one. We wrap things up with Adventures on the Horizon, Tales of War. <laughs> this is awesome. This is going to um, be a big one, though, Scott. Uh, no, uh, no discussion today. Adventures, I hope you don't mind. We just It's going to be a long one without it. We want to try and keep yep, the episodes yep. at a certain time frame. Yep, yep. So, I mean, we're going to be still talking about a lot of good stuff. I think one of the first ones, I got to say, this one is pretty gosh darn cool. What you got, Scott? You told me something about this uh, website, Listen Notes. Oh, yeah, Listen Notes. You can see where uh, where podcasts rank based. I mean, you could just find podcasts. It's a place where you can find yeah. shows to listen to. They do reviews of 2.788 million podcasts. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yes. And where was it that we came in at? Top 10%. That is freaking amazing. I mean- it's got to be, number one, thanks to you for starting this. And number two, thank you for all the adventurers listening and telling all your friends to listen to us. It means the world to us, and we really, really are proud of what we're doing and hope to do it for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. We hope we continue to entertain you folks. And uh, it, you know what? It's showing. You're spreading the word, and it's showing. We appreciate it. Yes, yes, yes. Scott, I saw you guys losing at G.I. Joe. Did you see they got an expansion coming out? I saw it just quick enough for me to say, shut up and take my money. Yes, yes. Renegade is coming out with a new expansion for G.I. Joe deck building game. I'm still enjoying the hell out of this game. It's very tough. You've got a lot of options to play with this. You go through the different things from the movies, from the TV show, all this kind of stuff. Now, in the next expansion, we've got Serpentor coming out. Serpentor? So that's going to be, oh, yeah, it was like, let's clone everyone from, like, Genghis Khan and Napoleon, Alexander the Great, all these different huge minds. It still was just as annoying as Cobra Commander and, and wore that horrible headpiece. But of hey, course. hey, hey, that just means that we're a little bit closer to getting Sergeant Slaughter in this game. You know, while we're on expansions, Ares Expedition has three of them coming to Kickstarter. You know, I got to wonder about the Ares Expedition expansion. So one thing I will say to that game's credit is it did cram terraforming Mars into about an hour time frame. You're going to put three expansions on top of it. It'll be interesting to see if the game balloons into a more grandiose, like, wait a minute, this isn't miniature terraforming yeah. Mars anymore. This is just a sort of a 1A. Really liked Ares Expedition. We talked about that one way back in an episode somewhere. Oh, yeah. Somewhere in the 20s, I guess, right after it came out. Right. Yeah, it was right after it came out. And yeah, you got to wonder, because this was the nice thing, scratch the itch to get in Terraform Memoirs real quick. You get the same feel for it. You see some of the things that are familiar. Let it stay in its little nook there of what it's meant to be. Let's not make it all go crazy here. 
Another one that I've been seeing little things about is Disney Villainous. They have Villainous the Star Wars version. So you're going to get what? Like, you'll get Vader in there, I assume? Kylo uh, Ren? If they really wanted to go deep, they could get Prince Zizor somewhere. With the Mandalorian, they could go Moff Gideon. Uh, yeah, I think I saw Gideon's in things. it. I don't want to see a battle of <laughs> Captain Hook fighting Darth Vader. <laughs> Maybe the idea is that you have Moff Gideon in the game with Kylo Ren, in the game with Darth Vader. Okay. okay. Nobody wants to see the tiger, the the king from Robin Hood. Uh, Was it Prince John? Uh, No, there was Prince John. John. With the crown, he was was cowardly. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I can't see him going up against Moff Gideon and and doing much. No, no. no. Oh, (laughs) you have a lightsaber? I'll just take all your money. (laughs) No, no. I, I don't know. Scott, I mentioned that you were losing it, G.I. Joe. I noticed that as we were sitting at Fabricators Forge. We had our meetup this past weekend. Thanks to everyone who came out. Boy, I tell you what, the the snow and, and the parade put a little bit of a damper on our expected turnout. But... And it was nice to have a little bit more of an intimate crowd. I think everybody there had a chance to play with everybody else. It was kind of nice for that. And Fabricators Forge, that's a pretty sweet setup they got going on. Miniatures Gamer Heaven. Oh, 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 oh. Well, you spent uh, a good we'll just... half an hour in that hallway with the bolter. <laughs> no, it took me back all sorts of memories, back to Warhammer and Malifaux and, oh, God, some miniature games I've never even heard of. But the guys there that were playing in a Warhammer tournament, great bunch of guys. They were all very friendly, all talkative. It really was a great experience down there. And uh, it it was just like a mini con uh, that we had going on there. Now, thinking of which, you went to a con recently, didn't you? You went to uh, a home con or something. Oh, poor home con. Yeah, I mentioned uh, home con 22. (laughs) So you want, a, you want the big recap, right? I took <laughs> on a so job fun. remodeling a bathroom, so it didn't happen. That that turned into work con. Oh, uh, <laughs> there's oh, very little. Ga- okay. I, I messaged Ryan ahead of time. I was I was like, okay, we're gonna do these seven games. I'll teach you games, and it turned into we had a chance to play a couple, and unfortunately, that was the extent of it. But uh, it's still, it was. It's always nice, always nice to connect with Ryan and play in there. But the big plan of Home Con 2022. It's going to have to wait until later in the year. But thinking about that and doing remodeling, it makes you think about tools and about woodwork and everything. One final thing I really got to bring up is our friend here, Stephen from Brown Castle Games. Yeah. He's the guy that pops in with all the crokinole tables. Well, mm-hmm. he, of course, brought one to Fabricators Forge. So we go over, we put out the, the little board and uh, we get out the pieces. And then he goes, well, what do you want to put in the middle? I'm like, uh, well, hopefully a couple of these pieces here, because I want to get 20 points in there. It's just a hole in the middle. Yeah. Well, he held out a little thing here. He has these little discs that he puts in there to make it easier to get the pieces out. And wouldn't you know it, he made special ones with Wilford and our logo on it. It was absolutely amazing seeing that. Oh, that's It's Wilford awesome. on the shield, on the background. It has one with just level up board game podcast on it. I mean, Steven. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was such a a wonderful thing that you did there for us. And we're so very, very happy of it. If you're in the mood, check out browncastlegames.com. He makes amazing, amazing boards there and customizes things however you want. 
check them out. They really, really have a great catalog of stuff there. So what do you say? Uh, want to get into some of our recent plans? Yeah, we can't banter for too long. Do you want the floor this time or shall I? I will jump right on in here. So I got a chance to pull out Tiny Epic Tactics once again. You are loving and these this, tiny epic games. Oh, hey, you've got to. I mean, they really put a lot of stuff in these things here. This was a 2019 release. It was designed by Scott Alms and published by Gameland Games. In Tiny Epic Tactics, you are basically playing a miniature war game with a war band of four different people. An archer, you have a wizard, you have a beast, and you have a fighter. So they're all going around this mystical land. They're trying to get into these dungeons and find treasures and fight off monsters. Well, you stop and think here, and you know the relative size of some of these boxes. They're not all that big. Oh, my God. If these guys are not incredibly clever, they actually put in little dividers inside the box to hold all the pieces. But Mm -hmm. wait, all those little boxes then come out, go on a little board that you have, and they create a 3D map of this land that you're in. So you have these hills and waterfalls and castles and all these different things that you're going around exploring in. So whenever you go into one of the dungeons, well, you take that piece of it, flip it over. Hey, what do you know? They print it inside. There's the dungeon inside. Oh, wow. But wait, there's more. They actually came out with an expansion for it. So you're thinking, well, there's going to be another box with some of those lids in there. Well, not exactly. The board that you're playing on is a little piece of material. You roll it out and it has forests, it has rivers, all these things that you're going over. Well, they have one that's based on a winter environment that you're fighting on. All right. Okay. So in the box that you get with these expansions, there's two expansions. It's smaller than their main box. So you're thinking, where's all this stuff at? They actually made covers to fit over top of those dividers that they put in the original box. So they are the same on the inside for the dungeons, but each one of these creates a whole different environment that you're fighting in. They move the things around. It's a different place where mountains are, different place where the castles are. You flip it over. Now you're in a desert and you put another pair of things on top of it and you have a whole new environment that you're building on. There's a little bit you see that comes into other games further down. Like there are some things I see in this that are similar in Tiny Epic Dungeons, But each one of these stands out as their own thing. I enjoy it, but it's still not really up in the top tier of the Tiny Epic games. This one's normally not put up in the the upper echelon, but it sounds like you still like it a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm hard-pressed to say that there's a Tiny Epic game that I can't find something that I enjoy in it. All right. So it's it, they they really knock it out of the park. I don't know what the next one's going to be. I have no clue, but I know that I'm going to be probably on board here trying to get their next game whenever it comes out. All right, I got to yeah. ask you something. I see all okay. these phenomenal components jam-packed in this little box. I'm noticing these laser-cut meeples, and it looks like each player color has four or so similar, like everybody's got an archer. You have four of them, yes. So what exactly am I doing in the game? If I'm setting this up and I want to play, am I rolling dice? Is it like I'm allocating actions for each guy? How do I play this thing? 
your character will move a certain amount of uh, a certain amount it'll have on there. Then you have dice that you roll, whether you're doing hand to hand combat, if you're doing a spell, if you're doing a ranged combat, you have to line up exactly where you're going. And like I said, you can either set this up as a team on team type of thing here where, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm going to capture your flag and take it back to my place and I'm going to win. Or you have to beat the other team to get into the dungeons and find these. Uh, I believe there's eight different gems that you need to find. It's kind of like a racing game in that way. Exactly. Okay. So you're going through and it's it's kind of tactical here. Well, thus the name where you're trying to lure the enemies towards you because you can't actually go into a dungeon before everything's off of the mountaintop or whatever so you can flip it over because it would be a nightmare to try and flip something over flip it back over remember where all the pieces were so So implement the rule you got to clear the path first exactly that makes sense like i said it gives you the two different ways to play as far as capture the flag or capture the gems there are different monsters that you fight there are traps that you go into you have the dice that you roll to make saves to make attacks it, yeah, I, I mean, they they really have a recipe set down there and just take a little thing out here and add a little dash of something else and make a whole new game each and every time. So about how long does the game take? The game takes, uh, I'd say, probably I was playing it uh, solo against the AI, so it took about an hour to play. So it's not too bad to go through it. But it is pretty unforgiving. Whenever you get into dungeons, you really have to plan your movement around the traps and steering clear of the monsters. But they do not make it easy for you to do that. So I want that in my solo games anyway. That's a good thing. It gives you a good challenge. It's just seamless how everything fits together. Well, that's Tiny Epic Tactics. Scott's still loving the Tiny Epic line from Gamelin Games. Thanks for that, Scott. Brave adventurers, Mondo Games has joined our party. Get 10% off your purchase with Mondo Games using promo code LEVELUP, L-E-V-E-L-U-P. You can go straight to their website or just click the Mondo button on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Want to expand your options in Unmatched? Enjoy a solo game of A Gentle Rain. Or maybe you're getting fired up for The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. Don't just score some loot. Get 10% off with promo code LEVELUP. All right, Scott. What has five eyes, flies 20 Uh miles an hour, and has been Uh with us for 30 million years? My Aunt Martha. (laughs) Wrong? That's not it? Second guess. Second guess. A honeybee. Yes. Yes, a honeybee. I should not have been laughing that hard at the Aunt Martha. I just wasn't expecting it. We're going to talk a little bit about Honey Buzz 2020 Elf Creek Games designed by Paul Solomon. Honey Buzz is a worker placement kind of tile laying game for one to four players that plays in about an hour. So our theme here is the bees have discovered economics. God help us. The queens believe that if they sell their honey to bears, badgers, and woodland critters of all sorts, they'll find peace and prosperity. Spring has arrived, and it's time to build up the hive, find nectar, make honey, and for the first time ever, set up shop. So, how do we play some honey buzz? To begin, you're going to get four tiles that make up your hive. Now, these tiles are like two hex tiles that are linked together, almost like a number eight. 
That's mm-hmm. kind of important because as you build your hive, you're going to be connecting these and making circles with the tiles. Whenever you put three of them together, there's a hole in the middle. I kept calling it the donut. But when you do, you trigger every action symbol that's around that newly created circle in the hive. Okay. Okay. So we know what we're building, but how to go about doing it. It's a work placement game. So at the start of the game, we're each going to have three bees at our disposal. There are six different tile types that can be acquired from the market. To get one, you just put your bee worker in that placement spot, and you collect the tile, and then you place it in your hive. Now, if someone else has a bee there already, you have to create a bee line. You need to place two bees instead of one. You actually just stack them on top of each other if you want to go to a worker placement spot where someone else have it. Further, if someone else still wants to go there, they have to place three bees and so on. The tiles that you're going to acquire do a number of things from getting more bees to straight up gaining five bucks, which in the end of the game is points. To understand the others, though, we got to talk a little bit about what else HoneyBuzz brings to the table. So, bottom left of the board, there's a grid of hex tiles that represent various types of honey. To the left of this grid, everybody has a forager bee token. Various actions that you're going to do are going to allow you to move your forager along that grid of tiles to collect one of those honey hex tiles and place it into your hive, right in between one of those little holes that you made when placing the larger tiles. Okay, see? okay. Another tile lets you produce honey on these newly collected foraged tiles. You following me? (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot with tiles. I think I'm going to need a a Venn diagram or something here soon of this game. Uh, Okay, continue. It's a bit to try and explain in the podcast format, but you're doing this uh, to produce honey because you'll have the opportunity to add market tiles to your hive, which are going to let you sell your honey for points or trade in the right recipe of honey to fulfill an order scoring points in the process. The game ends when a number of orders have been fulfilled or enough honey has been sold to the market so that it's not worth much anymore. And the high score is the winner. And I'll tell you what, Scott, for a one-hour game, I thought this packed a huge punch. We had a chance to play this together. What did you think? I know initially I said it feels like they added some stuff into it. And then they felt, well, let's – this is a cool mechanic. Let's add this onto it. And – you know what? I, are we going to make another game after this? I don't know. If we don't, let's put this mechanic in it as well, too. So it always it seemed like they were just adding mechanic after mechanic after mechanic. But upon letting it percolate a little bit in my mind after we played it, it started making sense. And it started gelling a little bit better in my mind. And I was like, okay, I see what they're doing here. This is one of those ones that, yes, it has a cute overall theme to it little bees going out with their little bags around their shoulders out to work to go get the they stuff got to a smile the on their face oh yeah yeah everything's everything is adorable but there is a really tactical strategic game hidden there because you want to be able to get your worker to this area here first before your opponent you want to be able to build the honeycomb before your opponent does it There's a lot of moving parts in this, and I think it toes the line of going too far and too low. It's right in that sweet spot. Yeah, I I enjoyed it, and I would definitely like to give that another try. Excellent. Excellent. You know what? I say a huge punch in this game. Scott, let's looking at some of the game elements here. You're competing over work, work placement spots. That's a thing, mm-hmm. especially because, you know, you got to place double Bs if somebody already has one or triple Bs if there's right. already two in a spot. That's a thing. 
arranging the tiles in your hive. So, you know, if, if you're placing those little figure eight double hex tiles, mm-hmm. one side is empty. The other side has the action symbol on it. So, you can make a circle and have six actions all around it. Right. But then you've yeah. got a whole bunch of blanks on the opposite. So, actually figuring out how you're going to place your tiles to maximize benefits, that's a thing. Timing the market when you go to sell that honey. Oh, yeah. The value of that honey will now go down. So, if you've got four and I've only got one, I might want to try and get in there and sell my one real quick so that you don't get as much for your four. Mm -hmm. Queen's commissions, basically like endgame goals, some of them are a race. First person to get their 10th Mm -hmm. bee. That's a thing. And weighing whether to sell the market or fulfill a recipe. You don't have to sell the market. You can go for a recipe. It's often fewer points, but a free action. That carries some weight that's really hard to to sort of deduce whether or not it's worth it. You combine all those things and it takes it from being an approachable game, which it very much is, that is cute, to a game that you could break out with hardcore gamers and it can get cut through. It can get really thinky real quick. And to me, that's a sign of a good one. Yeah, there is a deep game in that. Don't let the cover of this game fool you. There is a real thinker in that box. All right, adventurers, time to score some loot. Our friends at Dragon Dawn Productions have provided us a copy of Michaud, an Orkney Saga, to give away to one of you. Michaud, an Orkney Saga, is a game centered around the tale of the Tomb of Michaud. Legend has it that it was discovered in A.D. 1150, and shortly thereafter, a group sheltered there during a heavy blizzard, but became trapped. According to this legend, one of these souls escaped the tomb of Michaud, but the others were driven mad. In this game, for one to two players, you're tasked with escaping that tomb. King Scott tells us this is a gem, and I can't wait to get my hands on it. Here's how Level Up can get a copy in your hands. Simple. Join our Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. That's it. And we'll even give you the Level Up Micro Badge for joining. The winner will be picked on April 15, 2022, so join the guild and show off that micro badge. And in a level up first, this contest has worldwide eligibility. No matter where you are, we'll get this game in your hands. And thank you to Dragon Dawn Productions. Check out their library, including games such as Factory 42, Perdition's Mouth, Great Eminence, and more at ddpgames.com. Scott, let's stick with the nature setting. You got to play one that I'm a little jealous of you for. Let's hear about it. Yes, uh, I got a chance to sit down and play Meadow. And this is designed by Clemens Kaliki, and it's published by Rebel Studio. Now, then, in Meadow, you're laying out cards in a four by four tableau in the center. Mm-hmm. So all these cards are out there. They're going to have different symbols on them. They could have a bear claw on it. They could have a fence on it. They could have a little ladybug on it. It could have a a mushroom on it. All sorts of different little things on here. I told Jason whenever we played it, I have a feeling whenever we're done playing this game, I'm going to say this is a delightful game. Well, we finished that game and I said, this is a delightful game. Yeah. This game is so done up with wonderful watercolor pictures of nature of plants of animals of houses all these wonderful things here i mean it is truly a gorgeous gorgeous game to look at now each person will get pieces to put along the side of the board so there are little notches that are cut out 
And these pieces that you'll put in there will have a one, a two, a three, or four. Well, hey, guess what? You have one, two, three, four cards across, or you have one, two, three, four cards in a column. And what you're basically doing is you're building a little ecosystem in each one of these. Mm -hmm. So we'll start off something with a mushroom, and then you can lay a card on top of it that has a mushroom and something else. And then another one will have at least one of the symbols that were down below it on top of that. What you do is whenever you lay out one of those pieces, one of those pieces on the board, say you put down a number two. Well, you go over two spaces and you can take that card. Mm. Or you could put it down at the bottom. You go up two spaces, take that card. So you're busy looking all over here, trying to figure out what card you need in order to complete your little ecosystems that you're building. Okay. And you can build out a number of them in front of you. As you do that, you're looking at cards that are coming out and you're like, oh, that will help there. But then you stop and you realize you look at the pieces that you have left. It's in the second place. I already used that second piece. Mm. Oh, so yeah, this was definitely one of those things where it has a lot of damn it moments in this game. Sure. But they're damn it moments that you caused yourself. Self so it's not anything. Those are the worst oh, kind yes. of damn it moments. <laughs> yeah. But you're going along here and you're building these little ecosystems, and each one of them will have a little leaf on there and a victory point. So you'll add those up at the end of the game. There are also ones that you have a bonfire where you can take one of your pieces and put at the bonfire where you'll get bonus points there for different things that will come up if you have a mushroom and a fence next to each other. All right. Or if you have a fence and a bear paw next to each other. So you have to keep an eye on that, plus your eye on that, uh, the main board, plus your ecosystems that you're building. There's a lot of things here, but it never, ever gets overwhelming. It's always just well within your grasp to be able to play this game. You have the columns that are set up with north, west, and south. Now, after you go so far, you will then remove the west and put in east. Mm -hmm. Now, these cards are going to be a little bit higher points and a little more difficult to put out there. So you're busy still trying to make your ecosystems work, but you need to make sure that you made good foundations to start on as you're building along here and building this game. I'm horrible at this. Whenever I look at the front of it, I see a little weasel on the front of it, a beautifully painted watercolor weasel on the front of it. I'm, uh, yeah. It's going to be yeah, a walk in the let's park. Go for it. Let's go for this one. This one's going to really tax my brain. No, this one was fantastic. I almost walked out of SCG with that under my arm this past Thursday. It was that good. I was about ready to buy it right there on the spot. But then again, there's always this Thursday. So who knows? It could be going home with me. <laughs> Scott, was this um, game hard to learn? No, it's not. I mean, you have a little bit of questions, like whenever you're filling the things out, making sure you have the right symbols in places. Once you get that down, those first couple times there, boy, it comes over right away. It's very, very simple to play. When I saw you guys playing this at our meetup at the Forge, and when you set it up, I was like, oh, they're going to be done in like 20 or 30 minutes. They're playing that meadow game. That's a That seems like a relatively simple, quicker game. It's not, though, is it? You guys must have been going an hour, hour and a half. Well, actually, I didn't get a chance to play that one. I was still battling Cobra with G.I. Joe, but I was really jealous of the people that were sitting there playing you Meadow. You played I it wanted with to be Jason over there at SCG. He had it out at the table yes. again at the Forge. Okay, okay. How long does oh, this yeah. game take to play? 
we took it with three players. It probably took with teaching hour and 15, hour and a half, I would say at the very longest. That was me asking a lot of questions, though. Mm-hmm. So once you get it down easily, take it uh, one hour to play it. It shouldn't be very long. And this is another one where it's a simple way to take a look at the cards on the back, north, south, east, west, put them back in their columns. You could set it right up again there and start playing right away again. It's definitely a well-planned and well-executed game. Really, really good. Meadow. And now I see that you had yet another one that a lot of people are clamming for. What was this last one that you played? This one is Townsfolk Tussle, designed by Stephen Lewis, Tony Mayer, and Rachel Rusk, published by Panic Roll in 2022. Townsfolk Tussle is a skirmish game set in a vintage cartoon universe where players have to kind of work together to defend the town against pesky ruffians. Oh, those ruffians. (laughs) Scott, I hadn't heard a whole lot about this game whenever it was originally announced and originally on Kickstarter. But man, I tell you what, this thing started popping up and selling for like 300 bucks. And of course, it hit the top of the hotness on BGG. So obviously, it caught my eye. This thing was on Kickstarter. It finished back in November of 2020. It originally saw just shy of about 7,000 backers, raising close to a half million dollars. So if you haven't heard of the game, perhaps you've at least seen some of the charming art. It's got kind of a vintage cartoon sort of vaudeville vibe to it. Yeah, it almost looks like a feeling of like the old Popeye cartoons in a way. Yeah, with like like the wobbly olive oil. Yes, yes. And I love the fact that they have townsfolk tussle with all these cartoon characters. But then they have blood dripping from the top of the box. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The games can get gruesome. (laughs) You combine. Please tell me more. Oh, yeah. You combine this this cartoony artwork with the tongue in cheek ridiculousness of some of the items, the weapons and the narrative in the game. It makes for a very well produced and very unique theme. So, our characters are from Eureka Springs, where the sheriff has just been murdered, and as a result, these ruffians start making their way into and terrorizing the town, and that's where we, the players, enter. The game plays over four rounds, each consisting of a town phase and then a fight phase. Start a play, everybody's going to get a character, along with a player board housing the stats and starting equipment. In the town phase, each player at the table is first going to draw and resolve a town event, Then, each player is going to draw three feet cards. These are basically like those little objectives in Gloomhaven. You remember when we're playing, it's like, okay, finish next to a wall on three turns, and you get this little – But you get that. You get three of those cards, and that's what you're trying to pull off at some point in this round to cash in this card. Um, Okay. Finally, you're going to get a market of 10 cards that's going to be available for players to purchase and equip. So, your player board has slots on each side. You've got two hands, head, chest, legs, and accessories. And a lot of the game is I need to modify my base stats with the equipment that becomes available for purchase or for looting throughout play. That's it for the town phase. Once that's done, you're ready to go into the fight phase. You have four face down bad guy tokens that you set up at the beginning of the game from a stack of like 10. So plenty of variation there. You simply flip up the first one to see who you're going to be fighting. Now, whoever that baddie is, they each have their own stat card, a big cardboard card, not a little flimsy card. It's got 
all their abilities, their weaknesses are outlined on it, as well as an overhead view on the back of it of the game board outlining where various terrain and obstacles are going to be placed. Oh, wow. So you set up your board and the terrain, it's it's cardboard tiles. It's not 3D components. It's cardboard tiles mm-hmm. that sit onto the board. What's neat here is that once you place all the terrain, you're going to pull a res- its respective card from the deck. So if you have to place the pond, you're going to pull the pond card and it says how the pond is interacted with. This is an obstacle. You can't move through it, but it does not block line of sight, right? Makes sense? Yes, it does. In order, starting with the bad guy, the fight ensues. For the baddie, this is simple as flip the top card of their respective deck. That is like, Hansy has a different deck than, say, Pep and Milk Frog. Yes, those are some of the bad guys in, in the game. Eventually, either everyone is dead or you win the fight and you move on to the next town phase. Now, wash, rinse, repeat for a few rounds until finally that fourth round is the final bad guy. That's your... Big boss, so to speak. When you reveal that last bad guy, you follow the instructions on the back of your typical bad guy setup card that tell you what to do if it is the final fight. Yes, every back of every bad guy has this thrown in there just in case it is the last ultimate boss, right? All right. Usually, this is going to involve some narrative, and there's going to be a passage that players will read depending on whether they win or lose that final fight. Hold your horses here. Um, horses are now- hell. Okay. 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 Good. <laughs> this just sounds like it's an area skirmish kind of game. There. I mean, those are a dime a dozen. They've got a lot of skirmish games out there. It does seem to have an interesting theme to it. But what made this one stick out to you? What part of the gameplay really stood out to you? Let's start with the. Let's start with those four stats. Uh, so you have your moxie, your movement, your attack power, and your health. Health is what you would expect. Same with uh, same with like the health. Uh, there's accuracy. You've got moxie. Moxie is your essentially your action allocation. So movement you get to do once every turn. But moxie, say I have a moxie three, and I want to use my hammer. It might require the use of two moxie. And I want to search the abandoned picnic blanket that requires one moxie, for example. So if I do those two things, if I, if I fight the baddie and then I go search the blanket, I have no moxie left. Uh, So that's essentially all that I can do on my turn. You can adjust your stats throughout play and you can find items that are going to adjust your stats, namely moxie to give yourself more action allocation. But all of the various items that you're going to equip your character with are going to adjust your stats to make you better or worse as the game continues. That first round, you're not going to be as powerful as the fourth and you definitely, definitely feel the progression of your character and what you're able to do. The deck of items must be 120 cards. Maybe 150. Mike and I played this wow. today. We went through four full rounds. You got 10 cards every single market phase, and we didn't get a third of the way through the item deck. Holy they are cow. so unique. They're so different. You're not going to find a whole lot that, oh, okay, that's just another version of this thing. That's just a, the mm-hmm. third version of this one. It costs more and it does a little bit more. No, it. they are definitely different. You're going to get some variation in your gameplay based on that. I will say a lot of the gameplay is rolling a D10. So a lot of the terrain that you're going to interact with, like uh, the wishing well, you want to go throw a coin in the wishing well. You literally, you lose one coin, you roll the die, and on a one or a two, you just lost your coin and maybe even took a damage. On a three through seven, nothing happens. Eight through 10, you get a free item from the top of the deck. So the gameplay itself, there's a lot of talking. Mike and I were back and forth the whole, okay, if you go here, I'll go this way. I can equip you with that. You drink the lemonade to get three health back. Uh, I'll hope that my fishbowl helmet doesn't break. (laughs) 
and, <laughs> and then we're going to go whack him with your hammer, and I think we're going to be okay. Uh, there is a lot of talking, but a lot of things are resolved through a die roll, which in the event of an attack, that usually gives you about a 50-50 while you have unmodified stats. The gameplay is going to evolve based on the cards that you see from game to game. That's the biggest variable. One of the things I notice is I see their miniatures and I see some of the ones that have just standees for the different characters. Mm -hmm. What were the components like in this? That's a good question. You know what? The copy that I got, which I think is the only type of copy that you can get, comes with both. You get the miniatures what? and the standees. Yeah, it's got the punch board in there with all the little guys. So if you like having standees that are you know colorful and whatnot, if that's what you look for in your games, it's got that. If you like painting minis, or if you're like me and you don't mind just moving around gray plastic, sorry, I don't think it's the end of the world, <laughs> then they've got the miniatures in there for you. Scott, all those cards that are in this game come in one box. It's got the nice thick cardboard. It's a box that sits right inside of the game box. You pull it out, you okay. pop the lid off. All of your cards are organized. You need to get oh. an enemy deck. You just you look at the top and it's got those little dividers. You find the name, you push it forward and voila, there's the enemy deck. Set it down. Oh, it's wow. set up and ready to go. You need to get a unique item. You just flip to the unique items. Starting items, they're right in the front. You need to get certain terrain cards. There's the little terrain cards. You just pull that out. Small deck, thumb through it and grab the picnic basket. Fantastic components. So, down folks tussle... Town folk tussle. <laughs> I'm putting S's in where they aren't supposed to be. So let's try this again. Town folk tussle. There we go. There's a lot of stuff here. It's a quality production. It, it's one of those things where you worry, are they overproducing this thing and trying to make up for something that's not there? Or is it the full package? Uh, are they hiding minimal gameplay behind polished yes. components? Okay. Does the theme actually come through in the gameplay you ready for a little story scott oh story time with patrick i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you about our playthrough today my character quintus binch set out with his trusty rubber bat he joined yancey plover to defend the town at first we fought a possessed wheelbarrow let that sink in a possessed wheelbarrow that destroyed terrain left and right, trying to smash into us, but we finally dismantled him before having to deal with a disgruntled frog who was outraged for being banned from the town on account of selling bad milk. He was a frog milkman. He was banned because everyone got sick on his milk. He was coming back for vengeance, and we had to fend him off. And you know what we did? I even managed to loot his hat for some sweet stat bonuses. Yancey Plover... He equipped his hammer to an extra stretchy pole. So Mike's running around with a hammer, right? You can envision this guy whacking things with a hammer. No, he found an extra stretchy pole, duct taped the hammer to the end of it, and now he's got range and he's whacking people with that. We use it and make quick work of Hansy before our final fight against Deputy Wagums, the adorable town dog who apparently didn't know any better and we felt bad for him. So our goal was not to kill Deputy Wagums, it was to use a tranquilizer gun to get him down to just one energy and attack him until he was down to just one health. Not kill him! If we could do that, we win the game. That's the kind of strange story that you can expect to tell after you play a game of Townsfolk Tussle. It's weird, it's strange, it's delightful, the theme absolutely shines in this game. All right. <laughs> 
I, I don't know about you, but I know I'm I'm kind of leaning towards I must get this game. This was provided by Panic Roll to get a view of this and see what it was like. Is this going to end up in your collection? Not for the price it's going for right now. Hell no. <laughs> but that's not really an indictment of the game because I probably wouldn't buy most games for three times the price, especially if they're getting another print run later this year, which the good folks at mm. Panic Roll have informed us that is indeed the case. Scott, the original Kickstarter price was like 80 bucks. And I'm going to guess that a new printing, while slightly higher, won't be anywhere close to its 250 secondary market price. Right, right. I don't know that I'm personally a buyer. Uh, I enjoyed this playthrough with Mike today. We laughed more playing this game than we probably have in our last 50 games that we've played. <laughs> there was table talk aplenty as we strategize our defensive maneuvers. Honestly, though, there did come a point where we became familiar enough with the enemy capabilities. Like, at one point, I said to Mike, like, you know what, Mike? We're finding that the enemies, typically when they hit us, are only dealing one damage. And we use that to our advantage, and we figured that we could confidently just turn each fight into move up to the enemy and repeatedly attack. If you get down to one, run away for a minute, and then move back up to the enemy, heal up, move back up to the enemy, and repeatedly attack again. Now, that worked for us today. That might not be the mm -hmm. case every play. Plus, our final fight, it involved not actually killing Deputy Wagams. So, I'm thinking that more plays might reveal a wider range of tactical decisions. But all in all, I loved the theme. I loved the art, and I loved the production mm -hmm. quality. I liked the gameplay. I'll be okay. very interested to see whether in future plays, this game provides a little bit more strategic variation as it comes back to the table. Okay. Well, if we still have a chance on this, I'm, I'm going to have to sit down with you and play a game with this. And disclosure, when we say that we were provided this by Panic Roll, this is one that we are moving on to the next reviewer. We get nothing out of uh, reviewing this game. Yeah, so if we're going to play it, Scott, we got to do this in like the next week and a half. Or so. As soon as you are back from vacation, we're playing. We got to get it. I think you're going to get a kick out of it. I'm just looking at your card for Quintus Binch <laughs> and seeing that he's the troublemaker and his special abilities are petty theft and being a trickster. Oh, I could steal oh, something from the market. Every okay, Scott, yes. our, our final round when we were playing, uh, whenever you flip your boss and it says, here's your final fight, here's your stipulations, here's how you win, here's what causes you to lose, there was a specialty at the bottom. And wouldn't you right. know it, the specialty involved Quintus Bench, my character. I just oh. We just so happened to be playing a character that was on the back of the enemy for the specialty. It says, if you tranquilize Deputy Wagams, read this entry. For your end game, you know, you win and read this entry. If you right. accidentally kill him, read that entry. And then underneath that, it says, if Quintus Binch kills Deputy Wagams, read the final entry and you know, read the, the third entry. And I was like, okay, Mike and I have been playing nicely and cooperating this whole time. It would be a real AH move to like, you know what, I'm just going to kill him and, and see what happens. No, so we played it out and we we went for the actual shared victory of let's let's get right. Wagams down to one and one. I couldn't help myself. I had to read and see what happens if if I actually had killed Deputy Wags. So you read in the end, it's like, oh, that naughty boy Quintus Bench always up. Like it tells another flavorful story. Check this out. When we get games, ever since Risk Legacy, if I get a game mm -hmm. in the mail, if I get a game from the shop or a game from a publisher, and I'm taking out the bits, I'm looking through the cards, you know what one of the first things I do is? What's that? I lift out that insert. 
and I look and see if I can't oh. find any hidden compartment crap. And wouldn't you know it, they got it in Townsfolk Tussle. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I had to read the entry and see what happens with Quintus Binch. What would have happened if I killed him? Gave me the story and then it said, congratulations, you've unlocked a new starting item for Quintus Binch. Moving forward, you may play with it. And it says on it, it's not like, oh, it's hidden. It says, you know, look underneath right. the insert for the special box and pull out the Quintus Binch starting item card. I love that. Man, I mean, one more little Easter egg, one more little spark of joy given to me from the game. It was it was a very pleasant experience. I do look forward to playing it again. Townsfolk. Tussle. Townsfolk Tussle. <laughs> do your thing, Patrick. <laughs> no enthusiasm. <laughs> I'm spent right now. So come on. Tell me what are the top 100. Top wow 100. Me. Oh, I'm going to wow you. I got a big one. One of them cracked the top 100. Ooh. And you think, well, oh, it's sitting at number 95, number 42. No, all the way up to number 71 is what? Arc Nova. It didn't wow. crack the top 100. It left a full quarter of it behind. Yeah. You know what happened? That thing came out. It's a solid game. This is no indictment on the game. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Ryan and I were going to play it in the planned home con that was canceled and turned into bathroom remodel con. I can't wait to get my copy. <laughs> Jimmy's got it incoming. Nikki's got it incoming. I want to see what's going on in Ark Nova because it's apparently all the rage. But Tom really quickly on the Dice Tower said, oh, this is going to be a top 10 game. This might be number one. This might replace Gloomhaven. And boy, they got some reach. Man, if I if I was developing a game... All I need is Tom to say that, and I will sell oh, 20,000 yeah. copies. This thing is destined for the top 10. Some saying that it might be the game that unseats Gloomhaven's longtime reign as the number one overall game. We'll be tracking it. Ark Nova is oh, at yeah. 71. The crew, Mission Deep Sea, is at number 91. Things go up. Other things got to go down. That means Mombasa right. is down to number 93 and teetering on the edge. Good old Tigris and Euphrates sits at number 100. Top 10 trends. We've got some changes. <laughs> Gloomhaven retook Twilight Imperium. They flip-flopped oh. again in the five and six spot. I'm angry. Spirit <laughs> Island up two spots into the top 10. Spirit Island wow. sits at number nine. One of my favorite games through the ages, a new story of civilization. Down one spot to number 10, teetering on the edge of that top 10. Mm -hmm. These games are higher than they've ever been. Spirit Island at number nine. Dune Imperium is up to number 15. Nice. Barrage is at 40, On Mars at 52, Paladins of the West Kingdom up to 65, Pandemic no. Legacy Season 0 keeps a climbing up to 70, we'd mentioned Arc Nova already at 71, right. and the crew as well at number 91. Happy birthday! For two years, we've got Marvel Champions. Yes. You and I finally got this to the table. You let me play with Star-Lord, and I had a blast with that. I'm excited to play that again. Rising Sun, four years. And Gloomhaven, five years. Wow, I can't. I mean, it's. I can't believe it's been five years for that game. There. I mean, it seems like it's been there forever. Scott, the music's coming in. We want to review Earth today. I'm going to make you do the walkthrough this time. I'm tired of it. All right, I got it. So I will tiptoe over to my own separate booth here and tell you guys how to play Earth. Adventurers! Hey, King Scott here. 
and it's time for us to take a look at a review game for this week, and that is Earth. Earth is designed by Maxime Tardif and released by Inside Up Games. Well, welcome to Earth. On this teeming ball of dirt, plants will grow and thrive and work with each other to create a self-sustaining ecosystem so that animals may flourish and grow and create a living planet. In Earth, you will be drawing cards, a lot of cards. You'll be building a tableau and collecting points to create the most efficient ecosystem of all the players. The first person to build a 4x4 tableau of cards will trigger the end of the game, and then you will see whose environment is the best. To do this, well, you need your own little plot of Earth to build on. In the center of the table, you will place a flora and fauna board. You're going to place six cards on here. The fauna cards that you place are going to be objectives you try to achieve before your opponents. They could be things like complete two columns of your tableau before someone else. These will accrue you points. There are a number of point totals next to each of these cards. As you complete them, you will place one of your player markers on the highest number available. That means that you want to complete these as quickly and efficiently as you possibly can. The flora cards will have the game bonuses for the end of game, such as get two victory points for each pair of trees, or maybe three victory points for each complete row of the same symbol. Needless to say, it is very important to keep an eye on your cards. In order to begin your journey, you need your island to build upon. The card you select will have a starting position for you. Each one is different, so no one will be starting with the same card total or resources. You may get eight cards in your hand and two soil, but then you have to compost or discard five of those cards. Someone else may have four cards to start, but not have to discard any. It's very different for everyone involved in the game. You will also have a climate card which will give you an additional action during your turn. Finally, you will have one of the starting flora cards from the main board, giving you your own personal objective to complete by the end of the game. Now, the main part of the game. On your player board, there are four spaces for you to select for your action. Each one of these are a different color. As with many action selection games, the person selecting the action will get a powerful benefit while everyone else gets a similar but weaker action. You will select your action and everyone follows suit and completes their action. You can repeat actions or choose a new one. Remember, this is your ecosystem. You create it how you like. Once everyone has completed their turn, it is time to activate your tableau. When this happens, you will activate all the cards that match the color of the action selected. The effects are so numerous, I could not even begin to describe all of them. Once everyone has finished that, it's time to move on. This process will continue until a point when someone has completed their 4x4 tableau. They will then place a victory point marker on the center board and get an additional 7 points for being the first person to complete. Each person will get a final turn so that everyone has an equal number of turns. There is an awful lot tied up in this game, but is never beyond the realm of understanding what you're supposed to do. 
The challenge comes in doing what you're supposed to do at the right time. Well, it's time for me to leave my happy little ecosystem and let's see how Patrick did with his. Let's see between the two of us who has created the best earth and what our thoughts are on it. Earth, the soil that supports and sustains our beautiful planet, Earth. Over millions of years of evolution and adaptation, the flora and fauna of this unique planet have grown and developed into amazing life forms, creating symbiotic ecosystems and habitats. It's time to jump into these rich environments and create some amazing natural synergies that replicate and extrapolate on Earth's amazing versatility and plethora of natural resources. Scott, thank you for the walkthrough of today's review game, Earth. As you know, adventurers, we like to give our review games the 8-bit breakdown, looking at eight facets of this game and breaking them down, telling you all about them, starting with bit number one, the art and components. What you got, Scott? So, art and components. This was a prototype that we got. Things are not finalized in it, but they worked well enough. The growth rings that they have for the different plants in the finalized game, they have them set up so there's a little notch in it so they actually stand up instead of our little dexterity game of carefully balancing them on top of each other. Oh, God help like you whenever you had to build the, the redwood. They do it like Legos yes. or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, brilliant. Whenever you have to do like a redwood tree and you have like nine of them standing up with the top on it, I mean, that was just like, don't breathe. Yeah, just discard that card. <laughs> <laughs> But this will be a big plus for the game. The cards have gorgeous photos of nature and great little tidbits about what the plant is. It gave me a a real good feeling, kind of like wingspan, where you had to picture the birds, plus then where they're from, what they normally eat, and little tidbits or factoids about each one of those things. Mm -hmm. The symbols that are on the cards are plentiful and take up a lot of the card space. But after the first round, they magically blend in and you don't really notice it that much. Mm-hmm. The best thing is that when you select the global objectives for the game you're playing, since they're double-sided, the rulebook says, actually, that there are 25,600 different ways the game can be Holy set up. smokes. That's absurd. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the, about the art and components? Much the same. And you know what? You were saying how, like... Okay, so if I'm going to be using growth on trees, I put those little discs down and then I put the tree topper on top of it. What that does is that halfway through the game, three quarters through the game, you look around at everybody's grid that they're building with their four by four of cards with the the growth on it. And it's like, oh, look at all this greenery. Look at all these shrubs, little green cubes. Look at all the beautiful pictures. Mm -hmm. It actually kind of feels like you're looking at this little ecosystem slowly growing. Some of the other shows, one show that we love to listen to, they always say, oh, I love it whenever like a city building game has you actually building a 3D city because you can take a step back and see what I'm building. That happens here. And I really appreciated it. Agree with you. Beautiful art. I think the components are not going to let anyone down. I didn't think that anything was like, holy cow, that stands out with the exception of one thing. This has like, what, 300 different cards? Oh, God. I mean, at least, at least that. I mean, we had that broken down into at least stacks of 100 cards each, and we still had like three, four stacks of those things. I mean, there was a ton of cards there. Quite remarkable. Yes. 
Bit number two is theme and immersion. So we've got a beautiful game, beautiful photos. At any point, do we feel like we're getting immersed in the theme of this game? Does the theme come through? What say you, King Scott? Well, I actually got to say, I didn't feel that I was immersed in making the earth. Mm -hmm. But, 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 the effects of some of the cards made sense. It, yeah. it worked out in an odd way. Mm -hmm. The lightning strike, okay, so lightning strike is going to strike a tree. But then it's replaced by smaller plants. So you lose a growth ring, but you replace it with shrubberies. So it really makes that the effects are logical. Also, when you look, like you just said here, when you look at your completed tableau, it's kind of fun looking at that. And you see like the taller trees. Well, that's the forest back there. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's all the molds that are growing over there and the mosses. You do get the feeling of like, you kind of got a little forest ecosystem building got a up little there. terrarium over here. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really, really clever what they did with that. What did you think about it? Did you feel that you were Mother Nature sticking her fingers in everything, making things grow? <laughs> well, there was obviously a great deal of research done to make sure that each card had some information on it, as you had mentioned. We've seen this in, uh, well, you said Wingspan. We've seen it in Dog Park, to name a couple. And you know what? It's becoming a bit more common. This is becoming a thing that we have seen before where mm -hmm. every unique card has something cool on it. And I like that. It's unnecessary, but I appreciate it. And I think most gamers do as well. The theme comes through a bit with the combination of cards working together. Like you'd mentioned, a fungus oftentimes wants to see another fungus nearby and they're going to trigger off of each other. And as your tableau fills up and you start loading it with vegetation and growth and that color palette becomes more vibrant and you get green going all over the place... The visual presentation is thematic. Mm -hmm. Now, the gameplay, and I think this is where you were saying, oh, I never really felt like I was uh, Mother Nature, so to speak. The gameplay has a theme disconnect. There is a lot going on in an otherwise simple rule set, a ton of variables, and you need to pay complete attention to your cards. You need to be running the numbers or you don't have a chance against someone that does. And that typically means the theme is going to slip to the back of your mind as you're worried more about the mechanisms within. That brings us to bit number three. Let's not jump the gun here. Complexity. Mm -hmm. At its core, Earth is going to give us four simple actions to choose from. That is it. You do have to keep the endgame targets in mind, but honestly, that's it. The barrier of entry is almost non-existent. But the game starts to quickly get out of control as you keep cycling and drawing cards. There's not a ton of reading or anything, but once your tableau starts to fill out and you go, okay, this combo needs this type of card underneath it, and I have to put this one to the left. Oh, and I drew two new cards. What do these do? And then your hand gets up to six cards, then eight cards. Ooh, there is an awful lot of connecting the dots to deduce what would be the next correct play. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Now, like I said, and you said as well, there are a lot of symbols in the game. You have yeah, the symbols for the type of plant. There's a symbol for are you composting from your hand or composting from the deck? Are you putting a growth ring down or are you putting a shrubbery down? There's a lot of stuff that goes on there. The initial learn will be a little tough. I mean, there's it's not tough as far as the mechanics go. It's tough in keeping track of all the stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. Now, then there are people that they like to look at a game and they want to know, how can I play this game the most efficient way to get the most points? 
And they even make it a point in the rule book to say, don't do that. Yeah. You are going to ruin your game that play by trying to just focus on one thing. Get something out there and then see where you can go and then start building your plan or your strategy of how you want to play the game. Let it open up as you play. Don't there's no possible way. 25,600 different ways to play this game. 525,600 minutes. There is no one efficient way that's better than any other way to play this game. You know if what I was doing, thinking about that? That 26,000 some? 525,600 minutes. That's mm-hmm. just the variations possible at the setup. The right, moment, right. The moment you draw a card uh, or a hand of five, you've just exponentially blown that well up to probably a quarter million at that point. If you are looking at that to find out how you can most efficiently play it, you're losing the joy of the game. You have now stepped past the point of having a good time, relaxing, playing a game, having a few laughs with some friends to the point of being a human computer or something. (laughs) And it's just that's not what these things are put here for. These are here to make us relax, laugh let off some steam and enjoy the time we have with our friends. There are games that are complex because they tease you with, can you figure out the optimal play? And then there's Earth, which looks you square in the eyes and says, I dare you to try and figure out the optimal play because you ain't gonna. Because it comes out with both hands coming out saying, you're number one, you're number one. (laughs) You can figure that one out at home, folks. Scott, you'd mentioned the rule book saying, you know what, don't try and play optimally. Go with your gut or you're going to ruin your game. Tell me more about the rule book. I know we had the prototype copy. I've brushed through it myself, but you did the very first teach. So you mm-hmm. tell the adventurers what they can expect when they get their copy. The rule book is relatively short and concise. They go through things very efficiently. Now, one of the downfalls with this one was it was a black and white copy. So you didn't have the benefits of having the colors and seeing the colors because color is a big factor in this game as far as the actions go, as far as different things that go on throughout the game. So having the black and white one, it took a little time there trying to look at the card and match up the symbols on there. Oh, okay, that's a climate card. Uh, oh, that's a fauna card. You remember the what? old Game Master series, Milton Bradley games from the oh, 80s? yes. And their yes. rule books, like they would do like, this is this area is pink, this area is white, this one is pink and white striped. It's like they had three <laughs> colors to work with. <laughs> now you take a game like Earth and you're like, okay, we have black and white inkjet to send out. Uh, that's what the, mm-hmm. folks, that's what a prototype rule book oftentimes looks like. But yeah, the explanations were great. They had little tidbits at the very bottom that would say, oh, if you're doing this, be sure to look for this here. Whenever they had everything split up into the different actions, they didn't go with a paragraph, a paragraph, a paragraph. They actually broke it out in four different columns where they match up on the board. So you can see this is what this column does. This is what this column does. And it explains to you very, very easily and succinctly what you can do on each one of your turns. So they really worked hard on this rule book to get it as concise and efficient as they possibly could so it doesn't overwhelm you. Plus, you also have rules in the back on how to play solo 
and as teams as well on this book too. So getting it into, uh, I don't have it in front of me, 12 pages, 14 pages, maybe tops. And they're just small square. It's not like a whole big eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. They really did a great job with that, with the pictures and everything else in there, keeping it small and succinct. And I'll tell you what, this is inside up games. We've been through Summit. We've been through Gorus Maximus. Their rule books are good. You know, there's yes. some companies that you get a rule book from them and you're like, oh boy, this is going to, this is going to take some, <laughs> I'm going to have to sit down, get the coffee on. Not with Connor's games. They nail it. No, no. I did the rule book. How did you think about it whenever you were learning the game? Learning curve's tiny. I mean, we're talking, yeah. you have four actions to choose from, and that's basically it. Uh, and then you have, you have the follow actions, of course. So uh, if somebody picks the growth action, it's going to give them an ability so they get to do X and Y. Then everybody else gets to do a minor version of X or Y. And then depending on the color that they chose, suppose it was the teal color, everybody's going to get to trigger all their teal cards. Much like in Wingspan, when you trigger a bird, because when the egg lands on it, you get to do the action. Well, similar to that, in, in Earth, whenever you trigger an action, you trigger all of your cards that have that color. So that's pretty simple. Okay, teal. I just go through and I do everything teal. Simple. Any sort of AP that can come in is from how much do I want to try and min-max my play, right? I think, though, just about anyone is going to be able to understand how to swim in this pool. That's a great way of putting it. I like. I definitely like that. Scott, where is the meat? We like to think when we're playing a game, sometimes our brain is put to the test. We start thinking next level. Oh, I know that you're going to, so I'm going to. Sometimes games get us all kinds of giddy. That's where the meat lies. Where's the meat and earth? That is definitely building your tableau. That's where you're building your engine. I mean, you stop and think the earth is one huge engine building game. You have humans giving off carbon dioxide, monoxide, whichever one it is. Plants <laughs> take that in. They grow. They then Sometimes we give off a little bit plants. more if we had baked beans. Uh, true, true, true. And it's just one thing builds off another, off to another, off to another. That's what happens here. Now, I guess another part of the meat is your main objectives that you're trying to play during the yeah. game. You got to keep them in the mind. The points that you want to keep in mind here. So you might want to make sure that you have a bunch of flowering bushes all in one column, an environment that is orthogonally connected by trees. There's a lot of different things you do. So the meat of the game here is really seeing early what your engine is and what you want your engine to do. You get a bunch of teal cards out there, boy, you got that engine running and you got it to lean, mean, oxygen-making machine there. And it's really a beautiful thing once you get that. And like you see like someone puts down a green card and you're like, oh, I got a bunch of green cards going here and you're just rubbing your hands together and you Waiting got that them like, to trigger it oh yeah it's such a good feeling whenever you get that if you don't get that yeah you look at it like okay this kind of sucks but you look at it it's not a long game to play but you know you can set it up again and play it again right away and you're like okay i'm not going to make that mistake again just the joy of building that engine that is the meat of the game as far as i think you said it scott card 
combos. That is where the meat of this game lies. Given what I already have, what can I place to make it happen even better? There is kind of a strategy of, okay, if do I want to have a whole bunch of yellow triggers or a whole bunch of red triggers, or do I want to diversify? When you and I were playing one-on-one, I had a ton of teal triggers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I found myself picking teal off and I was getting too much of one thing. And then you were strategically not picking teal because you didn't want me to get to trigger. <laughs> and it occurred to me by the end of it, wait a minute. If I just diversified, if I did a little bit of each, then I'm going to get double benefits. My turn and Scott's turn, which you were getting. There's definitely some meat there. I like that it shifts from time to time. There are those white cards, the scoring cards that you can put into your 4x4 grid. So halfway through the game, you draw a card that's like desert vegetation. So this is going to give me points for every dry area that I have. Oh, how many do I have? And I've got two in hand. So like it's constantly like tasking your brain to shift. Yes. Absolutely. The meat of the game lies in the tableau and the card play. Mm-hmm. Replayability and variability. Now... I don't know if I mentioned this or not. There's 25,600 ways to set up this game. 25,600. 25,500 ways. 25,6. Variability, you aren't going to run into much of that as, as this is a very simple mechanical puzzle. You've got the same things you're going to do game after game after game. You're building an engine each time you do it. Replayability, that's huge there because each time you play, you haven't got a clue what cards are going to come up. You might not run into any of those environment cards like you talked about the arid areas, or you might run into a bunch of molds and funguses, or who knows, you might have a huge forest the next time you play it. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole new thing that unveils itself to you each and every time that you play it. Okay, so we know we've got all these different combinations of ways that you can start on the starting set of effect. I would venture a guess that only Dominion trumps this game for more variability from one play to the next in terms of your initial startup. But does that make a game replayable? Uh, We look at this and we, you know, we like to say, oh, you're never going to play the same game twice. That's also true of a game of, say, playing 100 hands of Texas Hold'em Poker. You're never again going to have the same cards flop each and every time in the exact same way. That doesn't always mean that the game is entirely different from one evening of a play to the next. But it does, in the case of Earth, make it replayable. You'll want to get back in there. You want to see what point cards come out, what's going to shape your play. These variables matter here. They are influential in how you're going to progress through the game. You don't, I don't think you're ever going to hone in on one strategy and be like, okay, so it doesn't matter what I play as long as I'm focusing on growth or as long as I'm focusing on accumulating soil or building up a compost pile, I'll, I'll be fine. No, you do have to adjust with those cards. I think that's what makes the game tremendously replayable. Yes, yes. I totally agree on that. Now, we don't like to talk about it, but still, every game's going to have... We have to. It's the burden of the reviewer. Oh, I know, I know. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. But uh, it's one of those things we got to talk about, the downsides. Now, Mm. were there any downsides that you found in this, Patrick? Can you please call me Quintus Bench moving forward? (laughs) <laughs> Were there any downsides you found in this Quintus Binch? 
Earth starts out innocently enough. Pick an action, gain some soil, and maybe a growth. Maybe you play a card and you get a trigger anytime someone chooses the plant action. Eventually, you're going to have 13 cards in your tableau, many with their own abilities, all of which have some sort of trigger, and each one potentially interacting in some way with one of the other eight cards in your hand or so. You see where I'm going with this, Scott. Mm -hmm. At some point, I shut off the side of my brain that wanted to optimize the puzzle. And I just started looking at small portions of my overall situation. I would narrow in on one or two endgame cards just to make sure that I could keep track of things in my brain. Heck, we were playing this at the meetup. Jesse showed me he was holding nine cards and he kind of laughed about it. He's like, I'm only really paying attention to the first three. <laughs> and you know what? In my mind, I like I said, to him, I was like, yeah, me too. Me too. Because at some point there is a situation of information overload. And because of that, I can envision sitting at a table to play Earth with gamers who really do want to optimize their play. And I feel like you'd be getting into a seven-hour think fest mm. in a game that's supposed to be a one-hour, go with your gut, enjoy yourself. Uh, and all that said... So far, anytime I've played, folks have tended to go with their gut, and it moved along at an appropriate pace, so the potential for that AP is absolutely there, and whether you want it or not, at some point, every player is going to hit information overload, and there's going to be way too much to keep track of, and that's where you shut off the math brain, turn on the fun brain, you've had your chance to math things out, now that it got too convoluted, bring it on home. Mm -hmm. What about you, Scott? Downsides. Well, the only downsides I really saw with this is, it, well, it's downside and kind of a little upside here at times. There's little if no direct player interaction. You aren't directly affecting another person's game. Uh, whenever mm. you draw cards, it's not like you have a marketplace out there and you're looking at that one card waiting to get it and someone steals it before you. The only time it, that dammit moment's coming into the game is whenever someone gets one of the global objectives just before you do, or just yeah. before you realize, oh God, I already had that. There's so many symbols that are going on that it sometimes, like you said, it becomes impossible to see all the combinations and everything that's going on. I think you really nailed it on the head whenever you say, you got to get to that point where you just turn off your brain. Don't try and master this game. Just try and do the best that you possibly can and enjoy yourself. Scott, was Earth fun? And who is it for? Let's bring this on home with bit number eight. How'd you feel? Was it fun? Uh, damn straight it was fun. Uh, I had a blast with this. This All right. This was just right in my wheelhouse. It was building the engine. I'm, I'm not going to go in with a math type of idea and think math out all the different things like well if i take this one here that will mean that i will get a net profit from this one here and get a gross net. no i just went in and had a good time and that was the big thing here this would be great for people that are moving moving into more difficult games than just your entry level it allows them to build on those mechanics that they learned on it so it's giving them a little boost but you're just flooding them with different symbols to learn and everything so it's mm -hmm. not really having to learn new mechanics it's add on to them as mechanics you already know here's some more stuff that you can do i really was truly truly impressed by the designs but yeah it was a great time i really enjoyed it oh god i would definitely sit down and play this thing solo with more people i had more time more fun playing it with more people 
because normally I tend to gear towards the solo games or one or two player games. This one really shines when you get more people because then you're really keeping an eye out things and you're really getting cutthroat on stuff, trying to make sure mm-hmm. you get those objectives first. Yeah, it was a great time. What did you do? Oh, I had a great time. I really liked Earth. In spite of what I said about the potential for analysis paralysis, downtimes made minimal by that action follow mechanic whereby every turn someone selects a main action and everybody else gets the minor version. Plus, you get to trigger cards for that color, so that's going to do a couple of things. One, you got basically no downtime. Yeah. You're always doing something. And two, the game scales beautifully. You're going to play until someone fills out their 16 card grid. You and I play played one-on-one and it took about the exact same amount of time as our full table of five people because every single turn you were getting all those follow actions so it went just as quick generally i think for most groups downtime is not going to be a problem i enjoyed playing it and i'm certainly going to grab a chair when someone has room for me in their game who's it for though Earth kind of marketed itself as a mashup of wingspan and terraforming mars which connor's got some We'll say testicular fortitude, making that (laughs) statement. But I think that's a pretty fair assessment. That's some fine company to be in. And time will tell if it reaches those lofty heights. But the point remains, Earth is similar to those two giants because it presents players with a simple opening rule set, endgame targets, and then a truckload of variation in the form of a massive stack of cards. Yep. It's definitely a winner. I mean... Sure, we got an advanced copy and take a look at and play. It doesn't affect how we look at it. It was a lot of fun to play. Oh, heck, we got to pass that on. We don't get to keep that. No, we don't. Yeah, I'm waiting for the uh, mailing label right now to get it off to the next person. Let's have a look back and talk about a game that we didn't have to mail on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was me going back in time. Okay, yeah, (laughs) it worked better in video than audio. Mechatol Rex has fallen, and the space opera of politicking, negotiation, and war ensue in what I still call my favorite game, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Scott, we reviewed this one year ago today. In Twilight Imperium, players choose one of 24 factions with the expansion, and they race to score 10 objective points. Make no mistake, folks, this is not space risk. This is wheeling and dealing, making trades, voting on agendas, and yes, occasionally threatening someone with a fleet of what are basically Star Destroyers. Scott, you don't love this game as much as I do. I think you had it ranked somewhere around 25. Tell me your thoughts on Twilight Imperium one year since our review. Looking at Twilight Imperium, I know right now they're going through the 25th anniversary. I think they're doing like their own little March Madness as to what civilization is best. So jumping in on that, you do kind of get like a feeling of there's something special here with this. Granted, it's not my game. It definitely doesn't pull me back like, come back, play, play. No, I had my time. I played it. I enjoyed it. I think in the one year that since we've done it, I've learned to not poo-poo on it, but realize that, hey, this is a very special game. A lot of thought went into this game. A lot of production went into this game. 
and it is a tremendous game. Just not one for me. And that's one of those things I, I really appreciate with the environment we live in, that there are so many different games that, hey, that one might not be for me, but I got this one sitting over here that's smiling at me going, hey, come over here, play with my cards. Okay, that sounded kind of creepy, but it's a great <laughs> game, but um, just not for me. A good flavor that your palate doesn't agree with, huh? Exactly. It, it's what is that thing, uh, the durian fruit or something, where people either think it's the greatest thing in the world or people crack it open and they think it smells like rotting milk. Who knows? Ugh. I tell you what, Twilight Imperium has a rabid fan base. You had mentioned they're going into their tournament for this year. What you're referring to is Space Cats Peace Turtles. Hunter Donaldson and Matt Martins, they put on a tournament every year, and it's open to Patreon. I believe it's open to Patreon supporters of their podcast. Mm. They do this all via Tabletop Simulator. They'll get six people at a table, and they'll play their game. The winner moves on. They even have prelims before actually setting the tournament. They had over 400 players worldwide Jeez. this is a game that takes anywhere from six to 12 hours to play and complete mm -hmm. they had over 400 people committed i think they just finished up their prelims they track all the results folks if you're a fan of twilight imperium you've got to check out space cats peace turtles it's next level material for the game it's absolutely fantastic for me, I'm recommending this game to anyone that thinks that sounds appealing. I've got a group in Pittsburgh that wants me to teach them. And boy, I tell you, I had to cancel back in January. We committed and then the little one got sick. I had to stay home. Sorry, guys. We're going to get to it. Plus, back in October, we had the big Twilight Imperium Day that, you know, oh, everyone came over. We had an eight-player game. We had put up the posts on Facebook. I made a little group for it mm -hmm. so we could all see. We made our selections. We did a draft. We're due for the next chapter in that. So this will absolutely be back on my table for the next, uh, until they make a fifth edition. Love it. Absolutely <laughs> love it. You know how some folks that uh, they love ASL, Advanced Squad Leader or Magic the Gathering, they put it at the top of their list and it is so far ahead of number two, it's not even mm -hmm. funny. It is the game, the lifestyle. TI kind of fits into that hole too. It's a game that like, you know, it demands a lot of time for five mm -hmm. or six players who are either willing to learn or have played before. And you know what? I'm lucky to have that because not every gamer has that group. If you do though, if you think your group would be down for a long epic game, you probably already have Twilight Imperium. <laughs> but if you don't, go get up. Go get a copy, set up a Saturday. I think you're going to have an experience that you're never going to forget. Scott, it's time for Adventures on the Horizon. Today, we're talking about a game that you and I both played by Christoph Kulak 2022 Raven Games Limited. This is going to be on Kickstarter any time. Now, they initially said we're hoping to have it launch in April. We don't have a firm date, but keep your eyes open for Tales of War. From Board Game Geek, Tales of War is a competitive strategy board game for two players, which places you in the roles of army generals in the conflict for the cross of eternity, an ancient artifact holding the key to immortality. The game board represents an open book filled with ever-changing terrain and mighty heroes leading their armies of medieval troops and fantasy creatures into battle. Each time you play the game, you write a new tale in your very own Tale of War. Quintus Binch, please give me the elevator pitch. What do you do in Tales of War? 
Scott, let's start with the scenario book because this game's meant to be played one scenario at a time until completion. Not necessarily all at once, of course. So you're going to open up to the first scenario out of about 15 and it outlines the army allotment for each player. So like when you and I played, it said, okay, you're going to be the blue player. You get this much. You'll be the red player. All right, fine. You get this much. That's your allotment for your army, which you're going to reset up on your respective sides of the grid board. It'll have some amount of terrain that's going to be placed as well and an objective. Objective. And the objective from one game to the next, of course, you're going to find some variation in it. So the introductory game, which uh, you and I, you'll recall, we played that. I played a lot more of this campaign with Mike, but I wanted to show you how to play the game. That right. introductory campaign said, okay, I need to take this point. You need to hold that point. That was the intro objective. Now, as you play on your turn, you're either going to move one unit or attack with one unit back and forth until either the objective is met or defended. Combat is as simple as being in range. Get your melee token right next to an enemy. You get to kill it on your next turn. So, okay, I'll use an attack. Get within range with a fire mage, for example. You're good to go. Blast away. At the end of the scenario, the game offers rewards for players based on their performance. Perhaps you're now allowed to field giants or elves onto the battlefield. Further, your heroes are actually going to gain skills that they're going to be able to use in future scenarios. The idea here is you have a relatively simple system of move a guy or attack with a guy that over the course of the campaign is going to get a little bit more complex and will tell a story, hence Tales of War. Yeah, I remember playing this and the first thing that came to my mind was this reminded me of like almost a travel version of Warhammer, where Mm -hmm. it's not one of those things where it's taken up a whole table, it's got a nice little place of real estate you play on it and it works out really really well so yeah it, it was a cool game to play yeah it's got some things that i really like namely that progression and evolution of mm-hmm. your army so you start with a pretty basic army but then you do get to unlock fire mages and ice mages and ogres and then you get some development on heroes and it's like oh wow i went from like a pretty basic army with pretty simple things that i can do to oh wow i've got things to consider scott has some things to consider that to me was a ton of fun yeah yeah this is definitely one that i will have to keep an eye out for whenever it comes out i tell you what scott there is some emergent gameplay so like i can't move my melee unit next to yours or on your turn you're just gonna activate your guy and kill it we ran into that a bit it's kind of like two diagonal pawns in chess so the move becomes well they're kind of at a stalemate We find that being broken, of course, by other units. So where we have two melee units that can't bump next to each other, what's going to force them to move? Well, what did we start doing? Started moving those archers. Started getting them in range. So, okay, you better, you might not want to move, but I'm going to force, I'm going to force your hand here. Well, I see you moving your archer. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to get my cavalry in range. That's something that I really loved in this game, the importance of positioning. The one area where it was like, wow, this is challenging. There are 21 units that you can have in this game. You're going to have to regularly check and see what they have to do. You got to know the capabilities of each of your units, but you also have to keep an eye on your opponents as well. There is a potential for a little bit of analysis paralysis as you try and determine what the next best play is. Think of a game of chess. There's what, seven units? King, queen, rook, bishop, knight, pawn. Six. Six units on a side, and you constantly have to be mindful of the positioning and the capabilities of where things can move. This does that, and it amps it up a little Mm -hmm. bit. Yes. 
obviously, as you play the campaign through, by the end of it, this isn't as much of an issue because you become more familiar with each of those units on the board. But be warned, there is a bit to digest up front in what is an otherwise pretty approachable game. Yeah. Plenty of emergent strategy, much like a game of chess. And for that reason, I think it's going to appeal to a lot of gamers. And that's why I'm looking forward to seeing this thing on Kickstarter. I'm keeping my eye on it as well. Well, adventurers, it's come to that time now where we start looking at how we leveled up. We've had a busy couple of weeks here. We've been doing a lot of things behind the scenes. We've done meetups and all sorts of stuff. So. Oh, we got things on the horizon, too. Oh, I'm telling you what, we play that commercial about joining the guild. Keep an eye on the guild. We got plans for summer. You're going to want to be in it if you want. You're going to want to be in it if you want to win it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Patrick, how did you level up? Scott, this is a really cool one. Factory 42 was on GameFound. Oh, one of the yes, stretch goals that, that they made was for some cards. Yeah, we posted this one everywhere. I couldn't believe it. They asked content creators to create event cards for the game. So you could submit an event card. So we each had the opportunity to design a card. We made Level Up and we made Conspiracy. Mm-hmm. We worked together on them, and the card that we came up with, Conspiracy, we came up with a voting mechanism where when this event is revealed, all of the players are going to vote yes or no. And if yes wins, you put six more cubes of any kind into that tower. If no wins, you got to delete the common pull. So I thought it was a really cool card. It does something completely unique compared to the other events in the game. And wouldn't you know it, that's one of the three that got picked, and it will be printed and in Factory 42. That is the level up this week. That is amazing. For my level up, this was something that I needed, and it felt really good. One of the main things that happened was this past weekend, I was in the Pittsburgh St. Patrick's Day Parade. Some things had happened a couple months ago with the production I was in, and not good things happened, and I really started questioning a lot of things I'd done acting wise and stuff like that and really kind of got in a dark place it wasn't fun but this weekend getting out there getting around people oh my god it just felt like shackles were coming off and everything else I was yelling at people I was making fun of people I picked out the biggest teamster union person I could find and he was standing there texting I yelled at him, look, everyone has a weakness. That guy can't walk and text at the same time. The rest <laughs> of our group looked at me like, well, it was nice knowing Scott. He came over. He laughed. and goes, well, if I did that, I'd trip over something. Laughed, shook my hand, and gave me a hug. And it was like, Scott is back. Uh... And it felt wonderful. And it was such a great feeling to do it. And it was something I that I so truly, truly needed. And that is definitely my level up is getting back out to see people and be the normal obnoxious Scott that I always was. Adventurers, thank you for joining us today. It means the world. If you haven't listened to Feuds and Favors, our episode from 10 days ago, Feuds and Favors is live on Kickstarter right now. Get back and listen to that episode. 
Also, keep your eyes peeled. We've got Omicron Protocol, a game that we had the opportunity to get a hold of at PAX and play over these last few months. We can't wait to tell you all about it. Bernie and Brendan were kind enough to join us and tell you all about the game that is now finally coming off the boat, ready to get into your hands. We've got that episode coming out as a side quest next week. We hope you join us. Yes, yes, yes. It's going to be a good time, and I know we've got a lot of things coming up on the horizon, so stick with us and see where this crazy path takes us. Until next time, King Scott. Hey, until next time, Pat. Uh, Quintus Binch. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.